Bloodbath and Beyond, episode 31. I'm Casey Mitchum. And I'm Burton Cody. And today, they're all gonna laugh at us! Because we're talking about Brian De Palma's Carrie. It's action and horror, it's horror and action, it's Bert and Casey, it's Casey and Bert. Bloodbath and Beyond. Carrie is from... Uh, one of the strongest, if not the strongest, decade of American movies, or even uh, American horror movies. It's, in particular, yeah. Yeah, in particular. Yeah, this is the, <clears throat> we're talking, of course, about the 1970s, of which yeah. this falls uh, smack dab in the middle in 1974. Yeah, we're, we're, uh, yeah, we're not exclusively, or we're not really talking about the remakes that followed, and the Broadway musical. And the TV movie. <laughs> <laughs> so, none of those... This is what counts for Carrie. This movie has much notoriety as a classic, and I think that's well-deserved. Also uh, has much notoriety for being not only the, you know, the, the, an adaptation of the first Stephen King novel, which essentially this movie's success put him on the map as an American horror icon. Yeah, um, this movie is known as one of the best Stephen King adaptations. It's, it might be my personal favorite. I know a lot of people love Shawshank, and I see. I, I'm I'm for The Shining, even though Stephen King thinks it's a terrible adaptation of his book. And Stephen King's own words: "That was a really pretty car without an engine." I I enjoy the book and I enjoy the film and I enjoy them for different reasons. Yeah, I I love the novel and I've grown to appreciate the movie because I, I used to not like it myself. Uh, I I would also put the Green Mile up as a possible great Stephen King adaptation. Uh, but once again, though, that's Shawshank, that's Frank Darabont. He just gets that stuff. Yeah. Oh, oh uh, Stand by Me. Stand by Me. Uh, uh, yeah. That. Uh, that was Children Rob... of the Corn, of course. There was also Misery. <laughs> are you skipping right over my Children of the Corn, Bert? I don't know what you're talking about. See you next month. Anyways, <laughs> there was Rob Reiner's to uh, include. Uh, Two movies, Misery and Stand By Me. Those are both great. Misery was Rob Reiner? Yes, it was. The wow. man who made Princess Freaking Bride brought the world misery. The man who gave us North, which was <laughs> true misery. <laughs> it's quite arguable that after Misery, he didn't really make a good movie again. But if Misery is the way you go out of making good movies, what a way to go. Yeah, very But you know, speak, speaking of great movies... This is, I think this is the first time we've really, really gotten done to talking about Brian De Palma on the show. Yeah. Oh, I do want to set the stage. Uh, we did okay. mention the 70s. Um, not only was this an outstanding decade for cinema, this was an outstanding year. This is a year that saw uh, classics like Network, Rocky, oh. Taxi Driver, All the President's Men, and another very strong horror picture in The Omen. But that was the big budget, you know, Gregory Peck starring vehicle. Great movie, sure. though. But you know, it's it's funny, right? You know, up, up until the point where you mentioned the Omen, like that, this is a this is very much an era of filmmaking. This particular year, where films seem to be much more socially aware of the darker side of society. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh, it's 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 very much the age of the message movie. It's post Vietnam. We have to you know realize Vietnam was the first war that was broadcast on TV, where they saw you know dead bodies and gore on you know on the evening news that had never been done before and and you know and that war was tremendously and its after effects were tremendously influential on horror uh you know you have tom savini's makeups heavily inspired by photographs of vietnam and experiences of vietnam and yeah. you have 
you know, you have the likes of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which was supposed to directly recall some of that, some of the, you know, the awfulness of that war. So it, yeah, I mean, that, that that's very much on the mind of everyone at this point. Yeah, uh, and he, this leads us to Brian De Palma, who's part of the, the movie Brat generation, uh, the likes of which include Steven Spielberg, Scorsese, uh, George Lucas, uh, Coppola, Coppola, who was kind of the ringleader of it all, uh, John Milius, who doesn't get enough love, in my opinion. No, not, not as much as he deserves. Yeah. Um, those guys in particular, um, it, for a lot of film enthusiasts, they're kind of the cutoff point for just greatness in American cinema. I argue, you know, great stuff came after them, too, but, man, it's that's a tough act to follow. Uh, well, sure, certainly. <laughs> yeah, and Spiel, guys like Spielberg and Coppola were a bit classier. And then, you know, we have Brian De Palma. He's he's a little more underground. What was De Palma making before this movie? Well, uh, I'm glad that you asked me. Um, he made the very first American movie to earn an X rating by the MPAA. That was Greetings, starring a 25-year-old Robert De Niro. I think that was from 69. What was so controversial about Greetings? Greetings, I want to say it was about a pornographer. Okay. Uh, And it has a lot of voyeurism. I I read an interview with De Palma from about 1970, 71. It was right before he made Sisters. Uh, You know, he's a bit more, I don't know, trying to be very highbrow. He said he wanted to be the... American Godard and wanted to go places American cinema was afraid to go. And he also made a sequel to Greetings called Hi Mom, which is also about uh, pornographers. <laughs> <laughs> what what titles are these movies? I don't know, man. Hi, yeah, Hi Mom. Uh, uh, De Palma, of course, being of the movie brat generation, is a huge, huge Hitchcock fanboy. Um, I, I think that shows, especially in... Um movies like blowout oh yeah uh and even in carrie which we'll get to in a minute but um <clears throat> he made movies that were also direct rip-offs of hitchcock movies obsession which came out the same year as carrie is more or less a rip-off of vertigo he even had his favorite film composer who just happened to be bernard herman score it <laughs> bernard herman who was supposed to score this picture died uh, around christmas of 75 he was unable to score carrie I just I had to laugh because you you hear bits of Bernard Herrmann in the score for Carrie as well like that that four that four note for Psycho is yeah there. I'm sure he wrote notes to Pino Danaggio who ended up scoring the picture like okay this is what I want <laughs> you gotta give, you gotta bring me the Psycho you gotta bring it yeah and uh, he also made Dress to Kill which is well a ripoff of Psycho <laughs> very much so yeah. <laughs> Uh, Michael Caine's the killer in that one, right? Yeah, we just spoiled that. One. It's oh, oh, sorry. Okay, it's not a great. <laughs> it's not a great movie. No, no, we can keep that. We're keeping that. That's a. It's not a great movie, but. Well, you know, actually, if I if I tell you that Michael Caine is a cross-dressing killer, that might be an even bigger draw for some people to find that movie. <laughs> Maybe, man. So this brings us to Carrie, which uh, up until this time, De Palma was still very underground. And he was not as respected as the other movie brats. And he hadn't had a movie that was a big financial success yet. Carrie, you know, with its low budget, proved to be a pretty big smash for horror. Yeah, I, I, I think, too, with Carrie, there, there was kind of that idea that they needed to take 
more chances with horror because this is right after things like The Exorcist were proving that horror could be a big box office draw. Yeah, and it can be sophisticated. Yes. I, I think the movie that set that pendulum swinging for sophisticated horror was uh, Rosemary's Baby. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. But, you know, it was 68, but that brought about, you know, the brainier horror filmmakers like, you know, Polanski into the limelight and Friedkin and uh, Brian De Palma. So it wasn't just the wacky, you know, but as much as I love them, uh, Roger Corman type of movies. You know, this is serious stuff. Serious stuff. Yes. Keeping it. So, uh, you know, it, it's worth pointing out, too, at this point in his career, because, you know, this is this being a Stephen King adaptation, King almost never released the Carey book. Mm-hmm. It, it, it almost never happened. Uh, he had th- he'd allegedly thrown it in the trash. It was Tabby, yeah. Yeah, his wife, Tabitha King pulled it out of the trash can and demanded he send it in. And to this day, King says that he's not sure what would have happened to his marriage or sanity had the book been rejected. Because um, hmm. at, at this point in his life, hmm. he was working for $1.60 an hour at an industrial laundromat. So this was... Wasn't he also uh, an elementary school teacher for a while or a high school teacher? I, he was a teacher in some capacity, yeah. but I couldn't tell you what grade level. Uh, but supposedly... Uh, a number of uh, Carrie herself was inspired by people he knew during his time as a teacher, and then um, Carrie's mother was inspired by a coworker at the laundromat. Hmm. Did that also inspire uh, the Mangler? <laughs> That's about a killer laundromat, isn't it? <laughs> yes, but literally the laundromat is the killer. <laughs> oh man, um, the Brian De Palma picture changes just a handful of things with the novel um the novel is written to be sort of like journal entries where um it's reflecting back this is where carrie white demonstrated her psychic latent psychic abilities around the time of her the peak of her adolescence blah 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 so yeah i mean we we open on a girl's locker room and it's I I didn't know how to feel about that scene the way it was shot at first. Well, no, no, uh, you got to mention first, the very opening shot is actually the girls playing volleyball. Oh, that's right. Girls on the high school court. Um, And it's just a very long Hitchcockian shot. Like the one in Notorious uh, where it zooms in on the key. I hope you know what I'm talking about. I do. Yeah, okay, great. We're on the same page here. And we just focus in on Carrie and just... Uh, it's, she's played by Sissy Spacek and her star-making performance. Uh, yeah, she's... You, it, you just she's, see how... Yeah. Well, you know, you, you just sort of see her being profoundly awkward. She's just standing there, not quite coordinated enough to keep up with the other girls in the game. And very timid. Yeah, very... She, she doesn't want to assert herself at all into playing. Yeah, was that the inspiration for uh, the opening credits of Daria? <laughs> But Daria really doesn't care. No, no. The, the thing is, the thing with Carrie is that she cares a lot. Yeah. She very much wants to be liked by these people, and it's just not happening for her. She's been raised by a lunatic. Yeah, of the highest order. Of the most pious order. <laughs> yes, the high, the highest pious. Uh, played by Piper Laurie. Yes, Piper Laurie is, is fantastic in this movie. Um, she was nominated for an Oscar. As, as, was, as was Sissy Spacek. 
reportedly Piper Laurie considered not even taking the role until her her husband encouraged her to look at the script again because he heard that De Palma guy mainly wrote comedies. So Piper Laurie figured that her character was meant to be a, com- a comedy relief character through most of the filming, and that's why she plays her so over the top. But it works. But that over the topness works so wonderfully for dramatic effect that it's it's part I, of De Palma's style. Yeah, he loves bombastic characters like Tony Montana and Scarface, or uh, John Lithgow's character in Blowout, uh, or in Raising Cain. Yeah, did you see Raising Cain? I I've heard of Raising Cain's <laughs> reputation. So. I think it's a lot of fun, but it's understandable why it's so hated. But I, I enjoy it. <laughs> but uh, but Piper Laurie, she definitely goes down in the pantheon of iconic bad mothers on film. She's she's just an absolute lunatic. Uh, and, and her I don't lunacy. Know way be- to put it. Well, and her lunacy becomes completely evident when we see the famous shower scene, which is part of that locker room shot I was talking about. Yeah, sorry, interrupted. Oh, no, it's okay. You're getting me in the proper sequence of events. Uh, but the the locker room it is so, almost shot in such a soft core pornographic way at first that I wasn't really sure I don't how think it, I was I don't think it was it. meant to be pornographic. I think it was meant to be very frank. There hadn't been a high school... It was meant to be very school. frank, but it, it felt so soft-focused and I think like they had that had that music playing and i think it was because that was carrie's kind of safe spot for a minute her taking a shower by herself it kind of sure. moves past the girls and um and then it's all interrupted you know by a big event yeah yeah and this, and this is where i t- was mentioning about uh the influence of the mother and that carrie gets her first period in the shower and notices by reaching down and just happening to touch the blood and Carrie completely loses it in a wailing fit because her religious zealot mother has never explained to her what menstruation is. So to her, she thinks that she's dying and she's running up to the girls and almost touching them with the blood and yeah. you know screaming for help. And I, I, I don't know the way the kids react to this. Is... Well, it's pretty horrible. Uh, they all just chuck tampons at her and just say pretty. Pretty gra- pretty crass stuff, like, plug it up. Plug it up. Yeah, they plug chant it that up. at her. And uh, the, that, that, of course, is when the gym teacher comes to the rescue. Yeah. I mean, you got to think for this sequence, what is juxtaposed with it? And the first line, or the last line from that volleyball shot is Nancy Allen going, eat, sh- eat shit. Mm-hmm. And... Then we cut to that really pretty music by Pino Danaggio, and <laughs> and then it's Carrie in her safe spot. And uh, throughout this film, you're just going to see De Palma's mastery of film form. Um, a lot of that does have to do with his fanboyness of Hitchcock, and that's probably where he learned it. And who who better to learn it from than Hitchcock? Yes. Yes, but uh, there is the sympathetic gym teacher, Ms. Collins. Who seems to be Carrie's only friend? In in a way, Miss Collins is an interesting character. She doesn't she doesn't really fit the perspective, especially at the time, of what a teacher should behave like on screen. How so, man? Uh, 
there's there's something kind of crass about her. She's very kind to Carrie, but she she's very rude to the to the rest of the student body. Overwhelmingly, she's very open with her emotions. If she yes. doesn't like you, such as Nancy Allen's uh, kind of mean girl character, she'll slap her. <laughs> and uh, in in discussing that that famous slap that was reportedly done over thirty times with De Palma insisting that. Miss Collins really, really slap, uh, really slap Nancy Allen around because she wasn't giving him the reaction he wanted. And Nancy Allen married him years later. <laughs> so it goes. So it goes, man. And so we're, yeah, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. Um, that's what we do. Yeah, that's what we do. That is the setup to this movie. Um, we get little tiny instances of Carrie's latent psychic abilities. Running parallel I, to her uh, her menstruation. I don't know that I would say that they're small or subtle necessarily because they they keep they growing. Really, they they keep accelerating. But like I, I rewatching it this time, I was kind of amazed at how how quickly they fit in as many effect shots as possible of this. Yeah, uh, I think the first thing she does is she shatters some lights in the gym locker room. Yes, and then it, and then she. Uh, she goes to the principal's office with the principal that keeps calling her Cassie. It's Carrie. God, I, I just love Sissy Spacing in this movie, man. But she, she, you know, ends up flinging the ashtray because that's back when people could smoke in schools. Yeah, um, yeah uh, I, I remember my mom told me she went to high school around this time period, and I don't want to make her sound old, but she told me that students were even allowed to have a smoking section. At high school, I went what? Jeez, I can't even imagine that. Like she wasn't a part of it, but man, different age, man. Different times. Yeah. Uh, she she ends up shoving that kid off the bike. That was Brian De Palma's nephew, by the way. Uh, that kid had it coming. Yeah, little, little <laughs> punk. He calls her creepy, creepy. Carrie, creepy, creepy Carrie. Carrie, creepy Carrie. Uh, yeah, and yeah, one thing I just love about this movie is its forward momentum. It it very much sets everything in motion to a set. Oh yeah. Uh, within the, conclusion. Within the, within the first five minutes, we kind of know where this is going to go. We know this is going to go something involving with her abilities, the Mean Girls, and the high school prom in a couple of days. Yeah. It's all just pushing forward, man, and just the the. Uh, the building tension and momentum is just, I think, one of the big things that sets this film apart from so many others. <clears throat> in, in what way? Um, you just don't see a lot of horror movies do that anymore. Um, it, it has such a great setup, and it just gives you such a great payoff. Uh, I think De Palma is one of the kings of cinematic catharsis. Uh, you see that in Scarface in particular with that one of the greatest uh, gunfights of all time, in my opinion. Um, and you see that in this film with the prom sequence. Uh, most horror films, even The Exorcist, isn't really as much of a build-up to that you know wonderful sequence at the end. Um, I compare it to something like The Road Warrior, where you know in that movie, or very early on, that those people have to get their gasoline out of the camp, yes. away from the humongous gang. And everything is just a build-up to that. Or audition, everything is a build-up to the big torture scene. Yeah. Say no more about audition. It's Yeah, I can't think of too many other movies that do that. 
Yeah. Well, uh, you know, another big part of this buildup is our first meeting with Piper Laurie, who we were just speaking about as uh, Carrie's mother, Margaret, mm-hmm. who is uh, upset about Carrie's changes. She wants her to stay a little girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, watch, just watch Sissy Spacek's body language around her. She gives such a great performance. She does things like she plays with her hair like a little girl would. Uh, the way she walks, the way she kind of cowers around her mother and sort of slinks down into a corner. It, it's good that you bring up Sissy Spacek's body language in this movie, too, because uh, mm. uh, reportedly Sissy Spacek's method for this movie was that she would isolate herself from the rest of the cast. She would, she decorated her dressing room with all kinds of religious iconography and studied uh, Gustave Doré's illustrated Bible. And she said through that, she came to understand the body language of people being stoned for their sins and decided that she was going to start and end every scene in one of those positions she'd seen in Doré's Bible. Hmm. Uh, yeah, you see that at the in the opening, in the shower. The way she just slinks down and while everyone's just uh, showering her with tampons. Yeah, it's, oh my goodness, it's definitely a stoning sequence there. Yeah. Uh, you see that all the way, even through the end of the picture. Um, one thing I really want to point out uh, is how careful De Palma directs this film. We see when Carrie and her mother have kind of their first confrontation on screen. Discussing the curse of the blood. Yes, Sissy Spacek is, is looking up at her mother in a submissive sort of position. Her her eye line is directed towards kind of the uh, top right corner. At the end of the movie, the roles are quite literally reversed. The camera shot is literally the opposite. Carrie is standing up and her mother is cowering at her, crying. Um, that's just very clever directing. Uh, and there's just so many great things about how De Palma references what's going to happen later on. And uh, the shower scene is just a setup for the prom scene. It's Carrie in a moment of safety, and all of that gets ripped away from her. The shower scene, too, is a pretty good... Uh, it's pretty symmetrical with the prayer closet in that way, in which the, when Car- Carrie only has this safe space... In a gym shower, a space most people do not feel secure in. I don't. I don't know that I know any kids that ever took showers in gym anymore. Uh, no, I. I never did. Yeah. Same. None of my friends did. Nope. I don't know anybody that did it. But, you know, in in terms of Carrie, you, you have this. You know, Carrie only feels secure enough in this public space where no one else feels secure because at home, the home that she lives in is so oppressive through her mother's obsession with old testament biblical iconography and and following the faith in all ways i I don't think i saw a television anywhere in the house there's not you know it's it's not that kind of household like this is a this is a house lit by candlelight essentially on very gaudy uh religious iconography like uh the giant uh last supper which was uh, i think the production designer who is sissy spacex's husband said it was like a giant towel with the Last Supper on, he's like, "That's so tacky. I gotta put that in the movie." That's that's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, uh, there's there's also the creepiest bit of religious uh, art in the movie, I think. Yeah, and this is when Carrie gets shoved into the prayer closet for her defiance, and is told to, you know, repent for what she's done and for having the blood. 
which will make her desire the boys. Yeah. Um, and she's locked into this closet with this statue that looks like a Christ-like figure, but is actually the uh, Catholic saint, Saint Sebastian. Yeah, with the arrows, man. Uh, and as far as I can tell um, from reading, I, I tried to look up some information on Saint Sebastian. I have this big book of saints. Uh, as far as I can tell, really the only reason that this would have been used in Carrie is because it looks so cool. <laughs> it looks so creepy. Uh, there's even early on where she crushes a little uh, a mirror in her room with her powers. The camera lingers on a really creepy painting. And I'm thinking it's Saint Sebastian also. Well, the thing with the Saint Sebastian statue that's so creepy is those light-up eyes. <laughs> I, yeah, I think, like I said, the production designer found it at, like, uh, I don't know, a flea market. <laughs> that is so nightmarish, I have to put it in the picture, too. Because it is, yeah, it's it's a, it's maybe the most horrendous thing. <laughs> Could you imagine being a little kid locked in that closet and that's what you get to look at? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't think that would inspire faith in me. I think that would inspire a very real fear of God. Yeah. Not uh, not the kind that you're meant to have as a Christian, either. No. Uh, yeah. Uh, Mrs. White is just verbally and physically abusive to Carrie. Um, and, well, we should also mention the other characters in the movie, I, I think, are also very important. Uh, it's Amy Irving and her boyfriend, Tommy. Uh, and also well just mention who they are first Amy Irving's character is I forgot what's her character's name in the movie is it Sue? Sue yeah she feels guilty about what happened to Carrie in the locker room and she actually wants to make up for it and so she asks her hotshot jock boyfriend to take her out to prom as as an act of kindness it was it's totally genuine I, I think too, with um, as far as Sue's sympathy goes, uh, they she has to understand how insane Mrs. White is as well, because we see Mrs. White earlier in the movie visiting her uh, visiting Sue's mother, just trying to convert her. Yeah, uh, that was actually played by Amy Irving's real mother too. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, De Palma liked that connection. You know, he's trying to be very European and method. And... It works. It, it works. Wor- it works. Yeah. Uh, but actually, you know, yeah, we, we now we can talk about Tommy, the hotshot college athlete boyfriend who steals a paint, steals a poem from somebody that Carrie thinks is a beautiful poem. That's beautiful. I think uh, no, that was that's not the first time. Brian De Palma uses that um, kind of dual focus lens. It puts one half of the screen and another half where people are way far apart in focus. Mm-hmm. I forgot like the the official name for it, but. Man, Palma and those camera tricks. You know, it, so yeah, the, the, the plan is that Sue wants her boyfriend Tommy to ask Carrie out to the prom, and it's it's an innocent gesture. Yeah, it's it's out of complete goodwill. Yeah, it's, she's trying to be wholesome about it. Yeah. Um, the, 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 what's interesting to me is, you know, well, A, Tommy's look is very <coughs> dated for this time in history. Like, in retrospect, that is maybe one of the most dated appearances in the movie. Because uh, he has this really long, curly blonde hair. I can't fault the movie for it. It's the I, it's I, No, the I, I don't. Yeah. I don't. But I, what I was going to say is it, it actually works in Carrie's case. Yeah. Because what it makes him look like is he looks like a painting of an angel, like Michael. Yeah, I was going to bring up his hair because... There's the other couple in the movie, Nancy Allen and John Travolta. Yeah. And throughout, uh, I want to say the mid 
middle areas of the film, uh, they're both couples are always are always juxtaposed. Um, and this is a very Hitchcockian thing. He always loved to have a blonde and a brunette woman be uh, opposed to each other. You see that in Marnie, The Birds. Uh, I'm trying to think of another one off the top of my head. Rebecca. Um, you just see that frequently in his work, and he brought that over with these characters. And it's also extended toward to the boyfriends. Um, we see scenes of Amy and... I keep calling her Amy. Amy Irving and Tommy. And they're always doing something pretty wholesome. Tommy's at practice. Uh, she's doing her homework. They're talking about doing nice things for Carrie. In the very next scene, we get John Travolta. I mean, the very next scene... John Travolta and Nancy Allen are riding together. He's drinking beer. And, Smoking pot. Yeah. Just being a complete dummy. And <laughs> and, uh, and and at one point, she gives him a blowjob, I suppose. Yeah, they, they juxtapose that. The way well, she gets yeah, her I, boyfriend to do something for her with Amy Irving asking her boyfriend to do something. Nicely. Yeah. Whereas, yeah, whereas... Uh, Nan- Nancy Allen, you know, will use sexual favors to, you know, to to get the favor of of, of John Travolta, who is a real asshole. <laughs> like, you know, I totally believed him in this movie. He's oh, you know, he he's very unlikable. He plays it well. Um, I, I will say that he is really, really selling the effects of the blowjob, but she is she is talking during the entire thing. I and was not wondering like, how that worked too. There's not like and there's not like a pause that suggests that she's doing anything. It's just like she's speaking into his crotch like a microphone. Maybe Nancy Allen said, "You know what, Brian? There's a point I won't go beyond." But but like but yeah. like Travolta is like like he's it's like it's like he's having the best time of his life. <laughs> it's, I, it's very interesting. I don't know <laughs> the way the way that they both decided to act it, and maybe <laughs> maybe that was a change made during the you know during the the looping dub over phase. But yeah. And they always slap each other. Yeah, they slap each other a lot. <laughs> They're horrible. Uh, manipulative. I don't, I don't like these people. <laughs> no, uh, the movie well establishes <laughs> the villains. And it's pretty much these two. And to an extent, the mother. Yeah, so so <clears throat> two things happen here. Um, Carrie starts suspecting after her mirror shatters when she's so angry at her mother that maybe there's something to all this stuff flying around her. So she goes to the library and researches telekinesis. Telekinesis? I love the way she reads it. Yeah. Uh, this was something I complained about in the remake, where the the modern Carrie also looks up telekinesis. And I... I, uh. I, I I forgive this movie a little bit more because before that, like nobody was really talking about that concept, but now it's such a, I don't know, it's such a part of our culture. It, it's very much in pop culture and largely because of Stephen King, I think. It, it's it's the problem I have with, you know, with George Romero versus the modern zombie movie, where in modern zombie movies, apparently no zombie movie exists, so people can't call it zombie. Walkers! Yes. Walkers! Or those things... There's a herd of walkers out there. I I always suspected the walkers thing was done just that Kirkman could, uh, you know, just have his own trademark for the term. Uh, It's probably a little bit of both. Yeah. But anyway, uh, so so Carrie's learning about her telekinetic ability uh, and and so also informing the audience of what it is. And at the same time, she's getting asked by the angelic looking Tommy to go with her, go with him to the prom. 
Yeah. And yeah, she brushes him off. Yeah. <laughs> he has to take quite a bit of convincing. Or she has to take quite a bit of convincing. Part part of which comes from the coach. Yeah. Who still suspects that they're up to something. Even though she encourages Carrie to go for it. Yeah. Uh, that's such a great shot. She pulls Carrie aside and says, Oh, look at your hair. You can do that real nice. And then it zooms in on her. She has this I... look of like, yeah, something's up. But you know, but I, I like that scene though because that really does show the soft side of the coach mm-hmm. very well. Um, it makes you know, her very likable. It does, it does, and I, I, we discussed this before we started recording. But she is, you know, Sissy Spacek is what twenty six, twenty seven when she films this. Mm-hmm. But she is so good at selling childish vulnerability, and her, her her appearance makes her look no older than sixteen. Yeah. Uh, several years later, when she won her Oscar for Coal Miner's Daughter, and she's playing Loretta Lynn, and Loretta Lynn got married when she was a teenager, and she really sells that too. Mm-hmm. Just uh, the very youthful appearance and you know characteristics. There were scenes in Carrie that were edited out. Um, there's still images of them uh, where they're trying to have like a hail of rocks. And it was going to show Carrie when she's supposed to be about 12. And it had Sissy Spacek and like this big bow in her hair. And it looked ridiculous. It's like, oh I, I, I can't buy that. And she sees a woman so, sunbathing. So wait, yeah. so wait, Sissy Spacek, as old, looking as old as she was now, was playing herself at 12 as well. Yes. It, it oh my God. Didn't, it didn't work, man. <laughs> that was cut out. I'm so glad. That would have been such... Yeah. So uh, another, reason, well, another reason they cut it out was this, the scene with the... The rocks, it looked like raindrops on film. It's like, no one's going to know they're rocks. What's the point? Yeah, that's, that, I don't think that was necessary. I think they I think they built up her psychic <clears throat> plenty in the first ten minutes. Oh, yeah. You know, you, you know where it's going. They don't need to spell it out for you at all times. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, there's also some, I don't know, sort of like 70s teen comedy scenes in this movie. You know oh, exactly what I'm talking about, aren't you? I, I do, because they're my least favorite parts of this movie. I, I actually like the, the scene where Ms. Collins has the mean girls doing push-ups and stuff. Okay, see, I'm okay with that. What I'm what I'm talking about is, like, all the... Like, that, that whole scene of just minor characters buying tuxedos for the prom. Uh, actually, the editor to this movie did not like that scene either, so it was his idea to speed it up, literally. Oh, okay, was, that... That really bothered the hell out of me. It's like, it's like, what the hell is going on here? Because at one point they're talking, else and they go, like, like they're like they're making that like fast forward noise. Yeah, I didn't really like that at first, but I think it's okay because uh, it's, it's no, it's, it's not. <laughs> I think it's okay because it's setting you at ease and like it's easing you into a '70s teen comedy, and it's making you forget you're watching a horror picture. I I think that's a waste of space. I don't know. I I. I think, to me... The scene is like 90 seconds long, man. No, no, no. Let's talk about this scene. Because this scene, to me, it's is not, like... not even 90 seconds. No, it's like the scene in the Roger Moore Bond movie where he... where they, they have that really impressive car stunt where the car flips completely over and they decided to loop in a slide whistle over that. I, <laughs> it, I totally disagree. I think it's a completely different emotion and I think well, it's placed it, at I, a different area. 
I don't I don't think it I agree it's a different emotion because this scene isn't meant to be thrilling or anything the way that stunt was you know that that I think that I think the Roger Moore example is way more egregious than this but I I, I think if you're gonna fast forward the scene anyway you don't need it it, it doesn't need to be here I don't I, I I believe they're going to prom because I see the damn prom I don't need them to I, I think you also wanted to show you these characters are just average kids um horrible things are going to happen to them later so here's what they who's who they are so you can get a, at least a little bit of an idea so you can kind of care at the very least tommy perhaps I, perhaps so I'm, yeah. I'm totally okay with that scene i i think part of it for me was also that the, 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 the that the goofiest music and the soundtrack was playing over that's, it and that's I, the 70s man i i know but man does it it date the scene so bad and i I, I know it's hard to it's hard to criticize something that was meant to be contemporary for its time for yeah. dating when you're rewatching it I, over thirty years later, but still. Yeah, that's that's got me worried about movies like The Matrix, where Keanu Reeves is supposed to look all cool in that trench coat. I'm going, oh man, ten it's years from movie. like right now when that movie's twenty years old or so. They are going to be laughing so hard at the scenes of people dancing to rave music. Yeah, it's going to look kind of silly. Kind of look kind of silly, and and who knows what else? I mean, I know I remember Blade. We were talking about that. That is so nineties. It's that is that is the that is the perfect picture of what people in the nineties were like. That's what a club is like. That is and that's a what a vampire club. club would be. Yeah, man, vampire rave. Now it sounds like something Bill Hader, Stefan character from SNL would talk about. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, the back to Carrie. Okay, so we agree to disagree on that scene. We agree. It, yeah. I, and I'll, I'll tell you, if my if my biggest quibble about this movie is one dumb tuxedo shopping scene, a scene that doesn't even take up two minutes. It, well, it, it, it would it would have taken up three, but they sped it up in the middle, literally. <laughs> so, and well, you know, I, I want to point out to the, to the listener if if you haven't watched this movie, and you should absolutely go watch this movie. I don't know why you're listening to this if you haven't. Um, just it's not like they just kind of sped it up a little bit and it's like oh it looks kind of silly no like they literally sped it up so you could hear people squeaking and just things like like characters like rocking around really fast and stuff it doesn't <laughs> it it doesn't last that long anyways man i know well we've spent more time talking about it than the then it actually so. exists yes yeah so I i'm do, sorry let's move on <laughs> i do like the other well speaking of comedy i like pj soul's character for, for those of you who don't know, P.J. Souls was also in uh, other cult classic movies like Halloween a few years later. Yep. And then Rock and Roll High School. Oh, yeah. So yeah. She's, she's a legend. She's a, And uh, that's why Rob Zombie cast her in The Devil's Rejects in sort of a cameo role. He, we're, we're hereby inducting P.J. Souls as the first member of the Bloodbath and Beyond Hall of Fame. Oh, yep. Congratulations, P.J. Yep. For your fine character acting. And... Her character wears that rainbow hat at all times, and she even has it on the little uh, hair dryer bubble at, at a salon. Yes. <laughs> okay, I, I, I did that. laugh at that. I yeah. did laugh at that. It was, it was meant to be funny. Yeah, it was pretty good. But her character is well, almost as awful as Nancy Allen, if not just as. Yeah, she's. She doesn't really have anything redeemable. She just. No. She's just awful for awful sake. Well, she makes me laugh at least. Yeah, so totally. Nancy Allen does convince John Travolta to bludgeon a pig to death at a creepy-looking slaughterhouse. A trivia yeah. note, Bill Paxton was a PA on this. 
Really? Yeah, and he, apparently he used to work at that slaw, uh, slaughterhouse, and he told uh, the production designer in uh, De Palma, was like, I know this great place. It's got it's so weird in L.A. <laughs> Lo and behold, it's it's got it's got like these giant uh, murals painted everywhere. You've got me wishing this movie had <laughs> had Bill Paxton in it. Yeah, like a Prefer- teenage Bill Paxton, nineteen. Preferably in like the John Travolta role or something. <laughs> He could have nailed that role, you know. He, he could does. have in that Paxton accent. Come <laughs> on. Yeah, I'm I'm totally cool with John Travolta, and sadly, for some of the actors in the movie or Piper Laurie in particular, whenever you see like a DVD for this anywhere, it just it says Sissy Spacek, John Travolta, Carrie. It's like yeah. John Travolta's not in the movie that much. And he really isn't. Yeah, yeah. So he does bludgeon a pig to death to, to use for <gasps> blood. Yes, uh, the infamous pig blood, which I think I think the pig blood in this movie is maybe the thing Carrie is most known for. Yeah, um, there are scenes in cinema I think are just endearing classics. Mm-hmm. I think the baptism scene in The Godfather is brilliant. I think the uh, Russian roulette sequence from The Deer Hunter is one of the greatest of all time. I, and, I think I think the standoff between the trio and the good, the bad, and the ugly is another such sequence. Absolutely, and I think the prom sequence from Carrie is absolutely perfect. Yes. Uh, so, the first thing to note about the prom sequence again is how incredible Sissy Spacek is at playing vulnerability. Oh yeah, uh, the way her character changes throughout the whole sequence. Yeah. She just plays it out right before your eyes. Uh, her date, the guy that plays Tommy, is really good too. Mm-hmm. He's being really sweet to her. He is, but but like it's still in that kind of cool guy way. Yeah, he's not full. He's not fully committed to it, but he's giving it his all. Like, well, my girl. Like, like you always get the sense that he's kind of holding back. He's like, well, my girlfriend told me to be here, so I'm gonna do this thing. And he never tells her that. He never tells her that. No, no. It, he, uh, he's he holds up his end of the bargain. Although uh, you know, I started to wonder at certain points if he wasn't in on it a little bit. I don't know. I really, I absolutely do not think he is. Uh, okay. For one reason that would betray the dichotomy De Palma had built up with the two couples. Okay. And what happens later, like the way he reacts to the pig's blood. This is true. Yeah, I really don't true. think he's part of it. Well, and that, that's why I was saying like that. Yeah. That was my like my early. Assumption. Yeah, but I—it's just that whole exchange between them about voting for a prom king and queen. Yeah, and the when they're dancing and they're just having this little moment, SpaceX absolutely mer- she she broke my heart in this scene because like because because as a viewer you know yeah. what's coming. Oh my! Everything is just so perfect for her, and when he tells her she's beautiful, it, you can see it in her eyes. It just melts her heart. Like no one has ever said that before to her in her life. And in this sequence, before any other, she starts looking people in the eye too. Yeah. Before that, pretty much throughout the whole movie, she hadn't been able to do that. I think in the uh, I want to say in the dinner scene, maybe a bit earlier, mm-hmm. when her mom throws coffee on her, I think it's coffee or tea or something. Yeah, something hot. What is it? Oh, yeah, there's a great line Piper Laurie had. Pimples are God's way of chastising us. Oh, yeah, we, we should talk before uh, we get into the finale of the prom about the about that, that last exchange between Piper Laurie and uh, Carrie. Yeah, Carrie starts uh, to use her powers on her mom or on a person, not just yeah. inanimate objects. 
but on her mother in particular. Yeah, that's, that's very notable. But yeah, I, 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 I did like that, though. Like, I like that this, the powers suddenly make Carrie confident enough to stand up against her abuser. Yeah, um, that, that, that's a perfect way to put it. I can't say any better. Um, I, but I, you know, this that, 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 that scene gives us so many lines mm. that I think have become pop culture nuggets, you know, like things that people quote from this movie. Yeah, like, they're all gonna laugh at you. Yeah. I can see uh, your dirty pillows. They're called breasts, Mama! Every woman has them! Uh, and just... Oh, the insane speech about sex and everything. It's just... It's all there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Casey and I can't really do say, uh, Sissy Spacek's uh, lines justice the way she says them. No, Only just, she could have said them. So perfect. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, actually, let's let's talk about the casting of Sissy Spacek. Yeah. Uh, because she was not an original choice for Carrie. No. Uh, well, who was? Well, it, in fact, I, I believe Carrie Fisher was in the early running. I do not see that working at all. I uh, like but, Carrie Fisher a lot, but I, I don't uh, see her as Carrie White. Reportedly, um, Star Star Wars and Carrie were casting at about the same time. Yeah. So, so but, a lot of a lot of actors from both kind of filtered in through the audition process. Yeah, the guy that plays Tommy did audition for Luke Skywalker, mm-hmm. and well, everything worked out just fine. Uh, yeah, I'm sure there were several others, but I, I don't happen to know them off the top of my yeah. head. I want to but, say uh, he was on that show, The Last American Hero. The superhero uh, parody show in the late seventies, but uh, but Sissy Spacek was not considered for the role until her husband, uh, who was the art director for the film, Jack Fisk, uh, convinced De Palma to give her a shot. Hmm. Um, oh, also, and before that, um, De Palma really was actually beyond Carrie Fisher. Uh, Amy Irving was the person he had in mind to play Carrie. I, I don't see Amy Irving pulling it off either. Yeah, uh, the, 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 but. Irving was a lock before SpaceX came in, and uh, SpaceX really prepared for her audition. Uh, she she sort of read enough of the script. Uh, she covered her hair in Vaseline. <laughs> uh, she came in having not bathed for a couple days, so she looked filthy. And she was wearing a sailor suit her mom had made her that was way too small that she wore back in the seventh grade. <laughs> so, oh, actually, I just I just looked it up. I got a few more of the names of the people who also auditioned. Yeah. Uh, For Carrie. Linda, yes, Linda Blair auditioned. No. Uh, but she did not. But actually, she didn't want it because she didn't want to be typecast. Uh, Jill Jill Clayburgh, uh, and then Farrah Fawcett <laughs> auditioned. That would have been hilarious. But but Farrah Fawcett dropped out because uh, she that would have like quadrupled the budget too. It really would have, and it would have been <clears> so <throat> inauthentic. Yeah. Uh, but Farrah Fawcett decided to go to Charlie's Angels instead, to the benefit of everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh. Yeah. So so I I think that just kind of shows the commitment to the part that Sissy Spacek brings to it. That she decided, like she read the script and was like. Oh, I know what kind of girl this is. It came in looking absolutely filthy and as she, like as unappealing as she could, she but just still understood the character so well. But still childlike. You see her uh, in just every little action she does. Yeah. Just the way she walks, the way she turns her head, everything. It's perfect. 
but let's get back to the prom scene. Yes. Um, because the way this uh, sequence is directed, uh, it's done with some very long takes of some very dynamic camera movements. Each one is kind of unique in its own way. When when uh, Carrie and Tommy first enter, it's very long uh, shot, single take. And I didn't even realize until watching it, you know, after the first time I had seen it, that that was one shot. Because you feel, you feel, the story just gets you and the, the camera work grabs you too. It becomes kind of invisible. The, uh, there's also the disorienting spinning camera during the dance. I, that's, that's a De Palma trope. He does that in every movie. He has typically people sitting down and the camera just kind of spins around him. Tar- Tarantino like, ripped it off. It looks like they're, tw- they're twirling on like a carousel for two. Yeah. That's where he gives her a kiss and. Uh, yeah, things just keep blossoming from there on out. And then there's also the... Oh, man. I, I don't know which shot is my favorite. I really don't. There's so many great ones. There's when Amy Irving comes to check in on Carrie and Tommy to see how the date's going. Yeah, because she wasn't allowed to go to prom because she didn't have a date. You have to have a date to go to prom, they said. Apparently. So, yeah, uh, apparently that's th- things were different back then. Yeah. Um, <laughs> A friend of mine but, brought a cardboard cutout to his prom. There you go. Well, yeah. see, he had somebody. The, 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 even Not even the coach could disagree yeah. with that. Yeah, uh, there's a great shot of Amy Irving. I hope you know what I'm talking about. And she looks at... The, uh, no, no, I take that back. Someone mentions the ballots. It's after they vote. Mm-hmm. Uh, PJ Souls picks up the ballots, and it shows her little bit of sleight of hand with that kind of Goomba guy where yeah. they switch, out, switch them out with um, the fake ballots. And then it goes... They walk past the teachers... You see John Travolta and uh, Nancy Allen underneath the podium or uh, underneath the stage where the king and yep. queen, king and queen, are supposed to stand. Yes. Um, and then the camera follows all the way up the string, and then we see from a very high high perspective uh, the bucket of blood, and it's just framed where Carrie and Tommy are just sort of floating right above it. Like, it's there, man. Just that tension keeps ratcheting up, man. You know what's coming. Oh, man. Uh, and then Carrie wins, uh, Carrie and Tommy win the prom king and queen, man. Oh, and just that entire walk up is devastating. Like It's, it, it's gorgeous for her. She's so happy, man. You, you see, And again, this just, I, I feel like I'm overselling it, but... Sissy SpaceX acting during this entire sequence <clears throat> is so on point, and just you know so that, natural. Yeah, it's so natural, and that walk up, like her facial expressions, I, I, she couldn't have done it better if she tried, man. It's yeah, it, it's so genuine. It's so like for the you can tell for the first time in your life. She feels beautiful, and you know that these people are going to ruin it for her. And you're already in your mind, you're like, I kind of want these people to suffer for this. You know, that's that's kind of the horror movie within the horror movie. Yeah. Is the horrible thing that will happen to Carrie. You yes. Know, she's, she's a unique horror movie character. Oh, yeah. No, she is, she's not a slasher. She's not... She's not Dracula. You know, she's, she's not even Frankenstein's monster. Yeah. She's she's a teenage girl, like a very believable teenage girl. Yeah, just trying to get by. Things are confusing. Her body's changing in unexpected and she's, ways. She's she's coming into a an awakening of both 
uh, her power, uh, her agency as a woman, her power to rebel against her mother, her ability, mm. you know, her, her literal psychic abilities and a sexual awakening all at the same time. I mean, the, the thing is, if, you know, this is almost an X-Men movie gone wrong. Yeah, I, I was going to bring up the exact same thing. This is this is like the, the character of X-Men. She became a villain or something. This, this is Jean Grey without Charles Xavier. Yeah. If Jean Grey's powers came about when she's a teenager and she had a wacky mom, mm-hmm. uh, she'd probably she gets, go crazy, too. And then she gets inhabited by the Phoenix Force and burns down her prom. I think she'd probably burn down the country if she had the Phoenix Force. The, the, well, part, small parts of the universe, you know. Yeah. The, 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 these are how these things go. But, yeah. but you know, it, it, it has that sort of same quality to it in that, it, you know, both are both are ostensibly about adolescence and, you know, finding finding the power within yourself and not not knowing at that young age what to do with it. But, you know, through, through the lens of, of our reality in which we don't have other people to guide you, you know, this is, it, it becomes a horror story. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Uh, and the, the crescendoing of the drama keeps getting heightened up. Because now Tommy and Carrie have entered the top of the stage. Carrie is positioned right under the bucket. And Amy Irving has just noticed that there is a string, in fact, tied to a bucket. And we follow her line of vision all the way up again. Yeah, just uh, the way they edit her eye line with uh, the way the camera moves up the string is beautiful. And um, uh, I guess the Palma filmed it at a super high speed to get this very smooth slow motion. Uh, he was kind of doing a Sam Peckinpah with uh, the slow motion, then I'll cut to regular motion and back and forth. It, it just has such a great dreamlike quality to it. It does. Yeah. Uh, and Miss Miss Collins sees what's going on. She goes, "Okay, you really are in on something to hurt Carrie." <clears throat> but, but she but she incorrectly believes that Amy Irving is the one that's going to hurt Carrie. Yeah. So she and she doesn't even notice the bucket. Uh, all of the different actions playing out. Carrie is just completely enthralled with the moment. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's it's interesting too, though, because essentially you bring up the dreamlike quality because there's. There's some there's parts in this where I think fantasy and reality are blurring. Yeah, you can hear that in the musical score too. Um, Danaggio's score goes from the dreamlike to the sinister, you know, often in the same measure. It sounds like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's well, I I bring up the blurring realities because after the bucket of blood has fallen and ruined Carrie's moment. The, the number of people she sees laughing at her is excessive because it includes Miss Collins, who I feel, given everything we know of the character, absolutely did not react that way. They do have the realistic shot, uh, you know, because the blood does fall on Carrie. Mm-hmm. Um, and almost everybody looks horrified by it. The only person laughing is PJ Souls. Everyone's going, that's awful. I can't even laugh at this. Uh and one of my oh god the sound design is so brilliant all you hear is just the bucket dripping for a while just to really sock you in the gut with what just happened man it's it's really horrendous it's it's completely devastating uh, another fascinating thing about the 
choices Sissy Spacek made as an actress was that this this scene took more than a day to film, um, but Spacek <laughs> insisted on wearing the same blood uh, okay. and not changing it because she wanted the continuity of the blood to be uh, accurate. That's dedication. It is, yeah. She she so she left this you know, fake blood substitute on her body for more than one day just so that she could make sure that when we watched it now we didn't see a noticeable difference in blood spatter. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Uh, but, you know, in the movie, it is, it is an absolutely horrendous thing, and, and we really do sit on Carrie and just the fear and revulsion in her heart at being so embarrassed and, and at her mother being right these people were horrible. Yeah, they play, they loop the they're all going to laugh at you line over they're and over. They're all going to laugh at you! They're all going to laugh at you! <clears throat> they're all going to laugh at you! Yeah, and then that kaleidoscope effect. Yeah. And then she sees everyone, <coughs> presumably everyone in the whole school, including teachers, laughing at her. I, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, again, I don't necessarily feel that everyone in the school would have been laughing to that effect, but I think that's, I think that's how Carrie sees it. Yeah. She has that's what just, happened to her. She just developed an ego one hour ago. Yeah. And it's already been, it's it just, already been destroyed. They just pulled that rug out right from under her. Yeah, it, she just crashed. She lived in a <clears throat> castle that was made of sand and the tide came in. Yeah. It's... Um, and then <clears throat> some of the some of the conspirators start to walk out. But Sissy Spacek, her eyes get real wide. She's, she gives that look like, I'm not letting you get away with this this time. I've got the power now. She, the way she sl- shuts all the doors and the lights go out and the, and, the music and every, gets like broom. oh man that's it gives me chills every time and every time she does something with the psychic powers they're playing that violin note yeah that if and my actual only complaint about this movie is the psycho riff yep with that violin note when she uses her powers thankfully they kind of stop yeah <clears throat> during, but the during sequence. that sequence it I think this, where she shuts all the windows, it really it started to get into that higher pitched note, like wah, 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 wah. There, there is so much going on during the prom sequence that it allegedly took De Palma six weeks to edit. Yeah, uh, I mean, it was probably it was difficult to shoot because they kept having to reorient the the gymnasium because they can only shoot from one side, and they had to make sure you couldn't see the, all the lighting gear up in the ceiling. So they kind of hit it with all those stars hanging down. Yeah. <clears throat> they did a good job. They did a good job. They did, and you're talking about you know scenes that feel completely chilling. The the effect of the backdrop of the prom king and queen stage bursting into flames. Oh man, is yeah. one of the most. It it's such a powerful moment. It like I was in awe when I first saw it, and I was in awe again when I rewatched it at yeah. just how gorgeous and how frightening that looks yeah it's the it's it's the system of editing in the movie like you know when the prom was beautiful and wonderful the cuts were very brief or very uh very sparse and here they're very frequent yes um and everyone is getting it from carrie even ms collins yeah uh Tommy has been already taken out by the bucket which fell on his head yeah you could see him mouth out what the hell when the uh, the bucket dumped onto Carrie, yeah, he was he he was genuinely outraged. Yeah, uh, but Sue has not has been locked out of the prom. Yeah, Sue's been locked out. Uh, Nancy Allen and John Travolta have escaped. 
Um, there was apparently a scene where they go to a bar afterwards, and Carrie's supposed to... They're supposed to follow her outside the bar. We get a little bit of that scene later in the car. <clears throat> yeah, that's not important. <laughs> that's, you know, like that, I don't, I, I'm, I, that's another omission I'm glad they decided to just go yeah, with. Yeah. That would have slowed up the pacing. It would have, yeah, the pacing is so perfect in this whole sequence, man. Honestly, I, I don't feel like it was necessary to even have them escape, but I guess they wanted one more effect scene, so, you know. They wanted to, be, they wanted to make it a little more personal with Carrie. Yeah. Yeah. Like, she but, really uh, gets these two. Yeah, just, <clears throat> just watching everyone die, like, and they, and they really don't, I mean, like, everyone's getting it, but they don't really linger on the brutality of it, because we're able to fill in the blanks with our imagination more often than not. Yeah. Uh, it's just... Yeah, it's just the payoff where we receive from everything that had been set up. And just all watch, these chilling moments, one after the other. And just the, watching the doors open and have and Carrie walking out alone and the doors shutting behind her and oh. just hearing screaming as the flames rise oh, and you know, oh, yeah. consume the building. And, and uh, the image of Sissy Spacek's silhouette. Is yeah. So perfect with the dress and the way she holds her arm at, arms out like a demon or something. And she's still drenched in that blood. That's just yeah, her, her eyes have not shut. <laughs> They're still wide, wide open. De Palma kept yelling at Sissy Spacek, Bigger! Bigger! <laughs> I want him as wide as possible. Well, he got it. He yeah, got she, it God, she sells it. Just when she turns her head. <laughs> yeah, we should also mention the De Palma does make use of his famous split-screen effects. Yes. Um, he really loves the heck out of split-screen. He... Uh, he didn't do it in some of his more popular movies, like Scarface and The Untouchables, but it, I'm pretty sure it was in Blowout. And Sisters. And yeah. All his horror movies. Yeah. Um, Tarantino, um, who has said that De Palma is his favorite filmmaker, uh, has employed many of De Palma's techniques. Um, he even listed Carrie as one of his all-time favorite movies. Uh, it's... Certainly one of my favorites from De Palma, who is also one of my favorite directors. We're not quite to the end. And we're not quite to the end. Uh, Carrie does show up back at her house in another great sequence. Well, but not before she kills. Oh, yeah, not before she kills John Travolta and Nancy Alleman. Who try to run, them, run her over with their car, and she just flips them over with her psychic power, and they die. Yeah, I like that it didn't linger on it. Nope, it's just done. Yeah, like, you don't mean anything to me. Now... Uh, the remake that it, that came out last year, I actually thought they did that scene. If they did any scene okay, it was that one. The way yeah, she I, yeah, I like that part. I imagine that you can do an effect shot with a destroyed car much better now than in in the 1975. But I I, I would also venture to guess, and I, I haven't seen the remake, that the the flame sequence is probably much less impressive because I imagine there's quite a bit of CGIing going on. Yeah, there is. And Carrie flies across the the gym. It looked really silly. And and I don't think that's necessary when you like when the first movie uses real fire. You're not gonna dazzle me with digital flames. Mm mm. And you're gonna be able to tell when it's digital too. Yep. So all this time, Carrie's mother has been thinking. What's she going to do about her devil baby? Mm -hmm. we, we saw her chopping vegetables. That was Piper Laurie's idea. She kept thinking of ways to scare Brian De Palma. I like it. And apparently that freaked him out. I like it. But yeah, no, she has decided that she is going to... Well, first of all, she's going to reveal the, the awfulness of the time she had sex 
to her daughter. Yeah, I knew I should have that, That's after, I think, what is the scariest shot in the whole movie. It's Piper Laurie hanging out in the background, and you don't know she's there. Yeah, yeah, Carrie, Carrie gets in the bath. Car- yeah, the, the movie is obsessed with, the, you know, Carrie bathing. And this time it's the opposite, it's to get rid of the blood. I think that's a great way to sort of um, book in the movie. Yeah, I, I think I think the bathroom is a safe space for most people too. I, yeah. I know when I wasn't allowed to play uh, video games on weekdays, I used to go into the bathroom for thirty minutes so I could play uh, my my Game Boy. So <laughs> oh. it was also my safe space. <laughs> yeah, but man, that shot of because uh, it's a very long shot of Carrie walking up the steps into the attic. And then her mom, she's been there the whole time. It looks like a piece of furniture. Once you see it, you can't unsee it, one of those things. Yeah, <clears throat> Yeah. no, mom, uh, yeah, as you said, Piper Laurie just lingering there as this almost supernatural presence. Like I said, it's the scariest shot in the movie, to yeah, me. It's a, it's a slasher movie shot. Yeah. I think it's better than a lot of slasher movie shots that I that I can think of off the top of my head. It's very it's very Halloween one Michael Myers. Yeah, that I like it better than some of those shots from that movie. I I agree. I agree. Yeah. Um. Uh, so yeah, Piper Laurie does try to kill her own daughter. And it wasn't until you know after getting older and the the idea of a parent killing his or her own child but it, is more disturbing to me now. It should be pointed out though that. She's not actually doing it because of the deaths. Yeah. She's doing it because of her daughter's sexual awakening. Yeah, and uh, her devilness. Yeah, with her yeah. powers. Yeah. Her sin. Her sin. Yes. She's trying to. Rem- she's trying to absolve her from sin. Well, b- by killing her before she does anything else, she'll regret. Mm-hmm. Now, Carrie, of course, defends herself. Um, and a scene that was, in some ways, improvised, kind of like the night before. Because in the novel, Carrie gradually stops her mother's heart until she eventually kills her that way. Uh, here, it's much more cinematic. Yeah, spectacular. In, in the movie, they want to really uh, mirror the St. Sebastian statue in the yeah, closet. They weren't even planning on mirroring that until, you know, really just right before, the, you know, or the day before they were going to shoot it. But mirror they do because mom's hands and uh, torso are littered with telekinetically tossed kitchen knives in the exact same poses as uh, yeah. Saint Sebastian. I like the grand finale blade that goes because it has the spinning added to it. Yeah. Boom. You get the sound effects and everything. Yeah. Her, her mom is, looks like a poke like a pin cushion. And the house collapses around her. Yeah. yeah. That, well, is it the end, Casey? Of course not, because we get one of the first uh, post-credits jump scares in horror film history. Because we go to Sue, one of the sole survivors of the prom night massacre. Yeah, well, one, perhaps the only survivor. That we know of, yeah. Because yeah. Tommy is confirmed dead over the phone, and mm-hmm. you know, we, we know what's happened to many of the others. So. Yeah. Amy Irving does have that dream. She sees sort of an empty lot of just stones where Carrie's house used to be. And then there, there's a for sale sign, but with graffiti painted over it says, Carrie White burns in hell, and there's an arrow pointing straight down. Yeah. Uh, she places some flowers at the base of the sign, but then Carrie's bloody hand comes up, man. And oh boy, if, 
yeah, if you're not expecting that, it's and, it's and at the time, the time this came out, no one was. Yeah, no, nobody knew about stuff like that, and that really was Sissy Spacek's arm. She insisted on doing that. Yeah. So, you know, and then of course, you know, we 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 cut to it only being a dream, and the movie ends there. Yeah, and that is Carrie, man, and I, I find this movie completely rewatchable. I, I want to talk about that post-credit, that, not that, it's not post-credit, but you know what I mean. Yeah, like I know that, what you mean, that, yeah. That, the final jump That's scare. The epilogue, because, yeah. The epilogue, because it, this movie does this more logically than the other most infamous epilogue in horror film, which is, of course, the ending to, to Friday the 13th. Yeah. Uh, from 1980. This is four years later. You know, and everybody knows this scene. I think if you I think if you know any scene from Friday the Thirteenth, you probably know the scene in which Mrs. Voorhees has been killed. Our our final girl gets off onto a little rowboat mm. and is in the middle of the, is, is in the middle of the lake, and Jason's uh, rotten corpse leaps out to pull her under. And I think in that case, the movie should have ended there. But instead, they also did the same carry technique of oh, it was just a dream. She's fine. Mm. I, I in Carrie's case, I'm willing to forgive it. I still don't totally like the I I've never liked the it's only a dream trope in horror movies or the cliche I should say. You know, but, it wouldn't have made any sense otherwise. There's nothing to say that Carrie's going to be som- psychic zombie Carrie. After. It's true. It, it's true. Yeah. So so I, I like I said I forgive it in the case of Carrie. I don't forgive it in the case of Friday the Thirteenth because there really is that corpse down there that's going to kill all the kids from now on. Yeah. So I, I don't know why they felt the audience needed that tension relief of, oh, it's just a dream, she'll be fine. Uh, like, I, I, I feel like that was not my screenings of 1980 Friday the 13th, like right after the body grabs her. I really think that was the producers going, well, we got to have the big scare. Carrie did that a few years ago. The kids loved it. Dream, so we got to yeah. make it okay, too. Yeah, we got to make it okay. Yeah. And then we got to make sequels. Uh, well, Forever. Uh, I, I'm glad it took several decades for Carrie to get a sequel. Oh my god! Oh my god! I forgot about that movie. Um, I think it goes to show that when this was remade a few years ago, the director, the director Kimberly Pierce, yeah, she did not seek Stephen King out really about making this movie. She wanted Brian De Palma's blessing about remaking Carrie. Because she loves, she clearly loved the original, as she should. But see, I, again, we get into a problem here of remakes. That, you know, on the one hand, we want remakes to be very respectful. Yeah. But on the other hand, like, I don't necessarily like remakes that are the same movie either. I, I don't like remakes, period. I don't oh, think the, many the of them Carrie are. 2013 was pretty much a scene-for-scene remake. Just like the weird Gus Van Sant psycho remake, but not as literal in this case. Yeah. I don't. I but I, do, I just don't find them necessary, like especially if you're going to be that slavishly devoted. But like I mean, literally, this the, the new movie just seems to be the same movie but with more CGI effect work. Yeah, I, you know, I, I'll, I'll do respect to Julianne Moore. Yeah, yeah, she plays uh, Margaret White. No, sorry, I'll do respect to Julianne Moore, but she is no Piper Laurie. <laughs> No, and uh, Piper Laurie, man, she got robbed. She oh, got, yeah. She got robbed by Beatrice Strait, her best supporting actress in 1976. Beatrice Strait was in Network, and not only was she in Network, she was in Network for a four-minute scene where she just yells 
at William Holden for cheating on her. That got her an Academy Award. That really? That that's yeah. all. Okay. So yeah. so did you say Sissy Spacek was nominated as well? She was. She was. Uh, you know, um, she wasn't gonna beat Faye Dunaway that year for Best Actress. She was, Faye Dunaway was too good. What was Faye Dunaway in that year? Network. Oh, of course. Uh, this, that was Network's big year. Okay. Yeah, Network. Network and Rocky were the big movies. Um, sweep awards that year. Bert and I also give our um, our great encouragement to any listener to go seek out Network, but not for any reasons we would cover on Bloodbath and Beyond. Yeah, uh, yeah, Taxi Driver, Network, yeah. All the great movies from that year. But yeah. Network is a Network is a real treat, especially if you have any interest in the dark side of news media. Incredibly uh, relevant today. Yes. Years and years later. Um, I think Carrie kind of lends itself to be sort of told over and over, or maybe just experienced over and over, because I feel like the story of Carrie White, the bully kid, is just so universal. It is. And, yeah, the concept of being an awkward teenager uh, who may also be a monster is... I mean, I think think that's one of the more appealing narratives in horror. Uh, I mean, essentially, that's also what... Ostensibly what most werewolf stories are about, you know, or... Mm -hmm. Uh, just you know, any, I, I, I guess even vampire fiction for the for the large part, you know that, just oh you're changing in some way, you know mm. that you've got you've got the power now. I mean, like you know, I, we made the X Men joke earlier, but it's the same kind of idea. It's almost Cronenbergian, Cronenbergian in a way. It's the Beast Within. Yeah, Cronenberg's Cron- more obsessed with what happens to the, the flesh and everything. But... This is puberty as body horror. Yeah. It's the beast within. Um, but it's also it's also oddly empowering. It, it, yeah, it's it's both at once. You know, I, I I've been thinking about this lately about the, the two kinds of horror movie victims, and it's quite often I think horror movie, horror primes us to want to see characters die. Like it does, I, especially the slasher genre. Especially the slasher genre, where we get these usually very irredeemable people. Or in the case of, you know, the average Tales in the Crypt episode, it's, you know, it's a morality tale. And yeah, a lot of someone's that, getting his comeuppance. Yeah, and I, I think that, of course, goes all the way back to, you know, the fairy tale traditions and, uh, you know, morality tale biblical theater. Um, but in the but then there's the, other, there's the flip side of this with uh, movies like Poltergeist, where I think the family is absolutely likable and you don't want to see anything bad happen to them. Because they're so they're so normal and charming in their way, and I I think Carrie falls into an odd gray area between both, where we end up completely sympathizing with Carrie, and we we are completely fine with everything that she does to the people in the at the prom, but we still completely realize the horror of it. Yeah, it's a it's a unique experience. It's yeah, it's it's a very unorthodox emotional response yeah she, she's uh in some ways an anti-hero in some ways a monster and in some ways a victim yes yeah. she's she's all at once really yeah um i can't think of a similar character really other than as you said sort of the werewolf model but with the werewolf they're completely unconscious about <laughs> what the monster is doing they yeah, wake they up the next day choice. and their clothes are torn and they might there might be some blood somewhere 
yeah, it's you know, there's there's not really a, a very good um, comparison other than characters that were later invented to try to imitate the carry mold. Yeah, and uh, this was not. I'm going to go back to De Palma. This was not his last psychic powers movie, because <laughs> he also really? made The Fury a few years later. That's right. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Uh, this is also definitely not the last psychic story for Stephen King who nope. would include include psychic uh, children with psychic powers in The Shining and of course its sequel Doctor Sleep uh, also did a story about a girl with pyrokinesis called Firestarter oh who can forget the movie with little Drew Barrymore little Drew Barrymore shooting fireballs from the sky at uh, George C. E. Scott and a myriad of other psychic characters that I, I don't know. I, I find it. I find it's very rare that a Stephen King story goes by that doesn't at least have one character with some sort of ESP yeah. or something. The Shining's unique because the kid is psychic, but the horror is not coming from his psychic abilities. No, it's, it's coming just, from the hotel. Yeah, the 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 psychic power just enables him to <coughs> um, process the evil of yeah. the house. Um, it's much more prominent in the novel yeah. than it is in the film. But you know, so so this uh, this also really kind of triggered the new wave of ev- like psychic characters and horror. Yeah, and I think it triggered a new level of frankness in teen movies that hadn't been seen before. Definitely, um, I, you know, even just the idea of talking <laughs> about something like menstruation in a you know a blockbuster movie, I think is pretty shocking yeah i don't even know if this was intended to be a blockbuster at the time but de palma was certainly happy that this movie made a pretty penny i mean this was made for 1.8 million dollars and made 33.8 million back so. and what would that translate it would be 10 times as much now oh my goodness it'd have to be yeah. i mean uh you know, it would be the equivalent of a, of, a, of a saw or a paranormal activity that make a huge amount of money back for the small investment given. I bet this would have made way, by comparison, this way made way more money than Saw ever did. <clears throat> saw movies like Saw, that that, that whole series, uh, I think it got too gross for general audiences. Carrie's a bit easier to take. Well, I, I think I think the the benefit Carrie has over Saw is that we didn't get a new Carrie every year for seven years. <laughs> Yeah, you got that right. Uh, also, De Palma really had to fight hard to have blood actually poured on Carrie. Oh my God, this... I, I can't I can't imagine that sequence. Yeah, the, the whole movie's designed around it. <laughs> yeah, the, I mean, the the studio was giving him hell about it. Oh, that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad I'm so glad De Palma won on that one because I I don't even know what they would have done without the blood. Like were they just gonna make a loud fart sound effect when yeah, she took the stage or something? Yeah, De Palma's like, what are we gonna do? We're gonna pour blue paint on her? What do you want me to do? You know, the the it has to be blood after You've read the after, script? Yeah. Yeah. I mean especially after the period sequence, you have to have that symmetry. Mm-hmm. You have to bookend it in that way, otherwise it's just ridiculous. I, yeah. yeah, good good call, De Palma. Bad call, Studios. What are you even doing? <laughs> <laughs> and I think he had to yeah, he had to fight to keep Sissy Spacek. Just all these things, he stuck to his guns, you know. Yeah. And I think by this time he was used to fighting with the MPAA, being Mister X, <laughs> <laughs> for a movie called Greetings. <laughs> 
greetings and hi, hi mom. mom. It, that's the sequel. <laughs> His pornographic films. Yeah, uh, yeah. An interview I read with him in the seventies. The producer's like, yeah, well, me and Brian really like screwing girls, so we put this voyeur voyeurism subplot in. Uh, hi, mom. I mean, like this is the man who directed Sisters, yeah. which, which I mean is. Let's be honest, it is about a doctor wanting to separate twin sisters. Yeah. I, I so haven't, I haven't have seen it. have sex with one of them? Well, so. I haven't seen it yet, but... Ah, okay, well. Say no more. Yeah, well, I, actually, I don't feel like I'm giving too much away by saying I bet that, I could so. gather that information pretty quickly. Yeah, I, it's, it's been a long time since I've seen Sisters, yeah. but it's, it's out there in the Criterion Collection, so it can be had. Yeah. Carrie, uh, one of his very finest pictures. One of my very favorites from him. I, I think it's one of the greats of American horror cinema. Yeah. Um, in the same way that Texas Chainsaw Massacre yeah. or Halloween or any of these if, really great movies of their time. Yeah, if you have not seen Carrie and you've been listening all the way up to this point, what's your problem, man? Yeah, you you need to do it. You just need to do it. It's it, I. There are there are several cases where a movie can be overhyped for you. I don't think Carrie is one of them. Uh, I don't think it applies to Carrie. It does not apply to The Exorcist. Mm-mm. Um, yeah, well, if know, we're speaking just about horror movies. Yes, because I, I, I think hype can hurt horror sometimes. Yeah. Uh, I, I I definitely <clears> know this <throat> happened with uh, Texas Chainsaw for a lot of people, where you know people hear it's the goriest movie ever made, and they see it, and there's like there's not really that much violence in this. It's just one of the greatest horror movies of all time, though. <laughs> it is, it is. But but I know several people who've told me I didn't like it very much. Everybody's told me it'd be the scariest thing ever, and I didn't think it was the scariest thing ever. I've seen everything else by now. It's like yeah, you've seen all the imitators, but. Yeah. Carrie is so unique within horror that I don't think that having it overhyped for you will actually hurt it. I think it's a must-see movie. Absolutely. Uh, and, and I think it's one of the maybe one of the best movies we've reviewed so far. It's up there, man. Uh, yeah, I, I can't disagree with that. What are like the really top-quality movies we've reviewed thus far? Is this the original Texas Chainsaw? Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, I want to say Fist of Legend. If we're talking about you know kung fu movies, yeah, Reanimator. Reanimator. Yeah. I, I I don't know. I think we've done several top flight movies. Yeah. I, 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 it's, I'm having different. We've just this is our 31st episode, so I'm having a little trouble recalling. We're, we've gotten to that state where like, oh yeah, we t- we did that episode, didn't we? Yeah. Well, sometimes you and I will pitch back and forth ideas of movies we should talk about and realize we've already done them in the first like 10, 15 episodes. Oh man. We're true podcasters now, man. Yep. Well, hey, <clears> here's <throat> to 31 more. Absolutely. Happy Halloween, everybody. Happy Halloween, everybody. That said. Stay bloody, my friends. Starring Sissy Spacek, Piper Laurie, and introducing John Travolta in his first motion picture role. <laughs> You have a taste for terror. You have a date with Carrie.